welcome back to another epi of Women at Work. I'm Danielle, here with my wonderful, amazing, astonishing co-founder, Shivali. Dang, Danielle, you're being a bit dramatic today. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but I guess it fits, because today we are interviewing someone super multi-talented, an actress, filmmaker, screenwriter, and producer, Leah McKendrick. And we're so excited to have Leah with us today. So without any further ado from us, let's roll the audio clip. Thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. We're so happy to have you on here. It means a lot um, for you to join us today and speak about your life. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. So, um, like I said, we already know a little bit about you. You're an actress and a writer and a filmmaker and so much more. And your portfolio is certainly quite impressive. But um, how did this journey start? Was this a childhood dream or something you've kind of grown into? I always knew what I wanted to do as a little girl. My parents were always kind of like, where did she get this idea of going to Hollywood? Like nobody (laughs) told her about Hollywood and she's been saying it since she was two years old. And I just had this really clear idea in my head. And maybe it was because I sang when I was so little. I started singing when I was a little baby and it was just Mm -hmm. sort of my outlet. And I always thought I was going to be a pop star like Britney Spears or Madonna Mm -hmm. and my idols. And I would like write movies and make movies and be a movie star also. Um, But as most people's journeys go, it didn't quite go so smoothly for me. And I got Mm -hmm. my record deal when I, I went to college because my parents were really strict about me going to school. They were like, you can study acting, you can study singing, just like, please go to college for the love <laughs> of God, go to college. And I was kind of like, okay, well, fine, I'll go to college and then I'll drop out as soon as I get my record deal. And so when I was at school, I was so frustrated that I was sort of being forced into this educational system when I really wanted to just like run through the streets of Hollywood and do my thing Mm -hmm. that I, and it was sort of a blessing because I got very experimental when I was at school. I would write and produce and direct and put on shows on the steps if they wouldn't give me a theater. And I was making my music on the side. I was like in Hollywood on nights and weekends, showcasing and recording. And I was just kind of all over the place. I, I had big, big, big dreams. And because I was so frustrated that I was in school, it it forced me to kind of uh, keep myself entertained by trying my hand at all these different things. And then finally, after I graduated from school, I got a record deal and I was like, oh, I did it. Here's the dream. Like, off to be famous. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) I don't know. I know you all thought I was normal, but I'm actually Hannah Montana and this is actually what I was meant to do. And so I went to New York and I was like living the dream and recording um, an album and then the label folded and it was sort of like all of the labels sort of, they started folding right and left because the, you know, the economy tanked and the music industry changed with iTunes and, and the ability to sort of um, make your own albums on your own computer and and the whole system started to change and it sort of sent me into this really dark place where I didn't I had always believed in destiny and I had always believed that what you dream of becoming is what you're meant to be and I felt so strongly about my purpose in the world that when it all started to crumble I didn't know what I believed in anymore and I didn't know what I was good at anymore. And I, and I knew that I, I couldn't give up my dreams because they were there. 
everything. They were everything that I am motivated every choice that I made in my life since I was a baby. So I kind of had this epic like loss of self and, and questioning and sort of what saved me was the fact that at school, and honestly, since I was young, I did so many different things. I wrote music, I sang, I danced, I would put up shows of my own, I would make my own costumes, I would make my own uh, plays and films, and, and that was really what ended up being the engine that got me out of this dark place because I started writing and producing and making my own work, my own music videos, led to my own stage shows, led to my own web series, led to my short films, led to my feature film, led me to where I am today, which, which is a little mm -hmm. bit of everything. That was a very long story. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like laid it all out there for you guys. So, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of how it happened. That was the journey. I can totally agree with you that the music industry and just music as a whole has completely changed and shifted and has truly been redefined in just the recent years. So I'm sure that yeah. was a complete like shockwave of everything it changing. Oh, just yeah. right in front of your eyes. Yeah, that's yeah, so real. real. Mm -hmm. But it's so great to see how college gave you this platform to experiment with your passions and really, truly just give a taste of everything and just try new things. So I think that's really great. But can you tell our listeners of what types of roles or where you recently played and where they can really catch you in and see you in, uh, in live action? Yeah, I'm like, what is, what's out? They, I just can't. I was just in a movie that came out a couple weeks ago. It's called A Nice Girl Like You. That's starring Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars. She's mm -hmm. a doll. Wow. And that's on all of the, you know, iTunes and mm -hmm. Amazon. You can get that everywhere. Um, I'm also in a movie that's playing, running a lot on TV right now on Epic's channel. And you can get it also on iTunes and everywhere. It's called The Turkey Bowl. And it's like a fun family Thanksgiving football movie. That's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. And then um, my new project that I just released this year a couple months ago is called Pamela and Ivy. And it's a, a short origin story for Poison Ivy from the DC universe. Um, and that's available on YouTube for free or at PamelaandIvy.com. So I know for all of our um, music or movie fanatics, go ahead and check those out. Because I know we've been, been getting a lot of requests of like diversifying our speakers and having more music people mm -hmm. and from the industry. So thank you so much for sharing that. I know both Shivali and I will definitely be checking those yeah. out. Please do. That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, of all these different roles and um, movies that you've been in, what has been, I know it's hard, definitely a challenge to pick this, but what has been your favorite role or what character have you been able to resonate with the most? I think my favorite, um, my favorite movie making experience was my first like studio project. It was a movie called Misconduct and it had the most amazing cast. It was starring, um, Josh Dumel and Julia Stiles and Al Pacino and Anthony Hopkins. And it was just like the most unreal, like first experience <laughs> as a young actress, because you're all of a sudden surrounded. And like Josh Dumel and Julia Stiles, like I grew up mm -hmm. watching, you know, yeah, that like me, little girl at home you know, seeing 10 Things I Hate About You <laughs> and seeing Win a Day with Tad Hamilton and being mm -hmm. like, those are movie stars. And even though, you know, obviously Anthony Hopkins and Al Pacino are like these 
legends, living legends, that just didn't mm-hmm. even feel like the same realm. <laughs> like I was like, they don't exist. Those are like figments of my imagination. But oh my so that was like a really unreal experience. And I just remember feeling like such a um, fraud on that set. And because I had only done my own productions and like indie films and, and short films and, you know, plays and stuff like that. So then I'm on this like huge set and I just remember thinking they're going to figure me out and know that I don't know what I'm doing and that I don't belong here. And I remember Josh just making me feel so that I belonged there and so supported Mm -hmm. and, and just really like lovely and wonderful. And, and, and he was my first like big movie star that I worked with. My first scene was with him. And I just, I'll never forget that experience. You just never, you can never have your first time again, right? So I just am so mm-hmm. glad that my first time was with Josh Dumal because he was such a, an angel. But my mm-hmm. favorite role that I've ever had, and I hate to, to say my own work, but it has to be on MFA, my first feature film, because I felt so strongly about telling that story of um, women on college campuses being assaulted and the system failing Mm -hmm. them and playing the role of Sky, a girl who had been assaulted and was so traumatized by the experience and how it changed her as a human. And um, I just felt really protective of her as a character and I felt really invested in her story and, and it was sort of all encompassing for me and to have so much love for a character because she was sort of an, a single character that was inspired by so many true stories of mm-hmm. women that I had read about or seen their documentaries like Daisy who just passed away from the Netflix mm-hmm. documentary, which like, really broke my heart a lot. And, mm-hmm. and when I see that she died from suicide recently, it just like rips my heart out. And I feel like that's that rawness is what I felt when I was shooting MFA and I was playing sky. And I think, Speaking of, of MFA and you writing that and also starring in it, it was it was actually it was quite successful. It was nominated for a Grand Jury Award at SXSW in 2017 and also dubbed by the New York Times as, you know, the first horror movie to speak to the um, Me Too movement. And I think getting this label of having such a profound impact on um, the Me Too movement and those who are victims of assault. Uh, what was your motivation to write something like this? I just want people to feel less alone and I just wanted girls that had experienced assault in any area of their life whether it be a friend somebody they thought was a friend whether it was on a date somebody they had a crush on whether it was a friend of the family or a stranger I just wanted women and girls to feel that they're heard they're seen they're valued um And I guess that was my way of trying to express that. And I know moreover, have there been any things in your life that you've worked on and that have centered around female empowerment? I know that briefly you have done some work on, like Shivali said, the Me Too movement, but have there been any others centered around this idea of female empowerment? Everything that I do is centered around female empowerment. Awesome. awesome. Every awesome. single yeah. thing that I do, every morning that I wake up, every every job that I take, every line that I write is, is centered around female empowerment. And I don't work on things that don't feel empowering to women or, and don't feel empowering to me and that I think are contributing to a society of 
um, taking women's voices from them, of marginalizing women. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I will never make. I mean, I don't even, to be honest, write write movies where with male leads, like you know, at, at the center. I I and it's not that I don't. It's just there's enough of that out there. And me as a female voice in the world, mm-hmm. I would prefer to spend my days. Um, exploring the female consciousness and um it's it's not some people think that that that's problematic because I turn down jobs with male leads and male stories and I go handing it off to somebody else to do it somebody that will mm-hmm. value that story that I have other stories to tell in my life and they're for women Mm-hmm. And I love that idea that you were speaking on everything in your life, whether that's a role or just personal pursuits about feeling female empowerment. I think that's so great. And that truly lines up so well and so perfectly with our goals at Women in Work and just everything. Because, you know, we're all about like spreading stories of women, mm-hmm. these real true stories in real time, which allow girls and young women who are tuning into these and listening to think that I don't have to go into a career that, you know, my parents are pushing me into or I don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer to be successful. I can truly do whatever mm-hmm. it is. And just you spreading that with your roles. I think that's so amazing and a huge kudos to you for doing that. You know, it's interesting because I was just talking to my sister last night about this because I think that we as artists get a bad rap and that, you know, you're never going to be able to pay your rent and you're never going to be able to build a life and you're never going to be able to be a success. And I totally understand that fear. My parents had that fear till recently you know my dad used to always tell me it's not that we don't believe in you we don't believe in Hollywood because I just felt that this was not a town where where that was built for success and I I'm about to buy my first house like I'm on I'm hunting for a house here in Hollywood like in the hills congratulations thank you and I (laughs) two years ago was so broke you know and and Mm -hmm. and I was struggling and every piece of money every little bit and when I would book a tv show and get a chunk of money it would go back into my movies and then I would be back to being broke because I just (laughs) spent my money on my movies again and it was this constant you know cycle of having a little bit of money and then being broke because I'm making something else and I just go you know what you can fail at the thing that you don't want to do so why not go for the thing that you do want to do because the truth is that there's so many careers that are, that are difficult and hard to succeed in. And we get a bad rap in Hollywood. We get a bad rap in this business. But there's a lot of people. I'm, not, I'm just going to say it. I make more money than a lot of people in safer industries. And I just go, you know what? I'm proud of that. And I don't think that I should be made to feel bad about making money as a woman. I've worked really hard to get here. And I know that there's so many women out there and young girls that will be deterred by the the stats and I just think if you have a story to tell then tell that story regardless of the money and the money will find you congratulations on all your achievements that's what your message you're spreading girls that's so nice yeah but you know speaking about you know being a female in this industry it's so hard you know to get a break and to kind of be successful but you're clearly you know getting there and you're you're doing amazing but I think have you ever felt like you've been discriminated against or um know someone else who has been discriminated against in this type of industry because I'm sure it happens a lot of the times totally for years and years and years and years and still sometimes today and mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent a part of of built into the DNA of Hollywood um but I think it's a part of the DNA of, of the workforce 
in this country, in this world, and it breaks my heart. And I wish that we could be seen for what we truly are, which is equal and um, endless and limitless. Um, mm-hmm. And we're working towards that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm haunted by this moment. And I'm, I'm less haunted by what was said than I'm haunted by my pain in in regards to this comment but I remember when I was making one of my projects one of my earlier projects I had hired a male director and behind my back he had said Leah's not a real writer she's a makeup artist because my day job was as a makeup artist I was Mm -hmm. you know working to pay my rent while I was making my work and I remember that hurting my feelings so much because I had built the whole thing and hired him. Mm-hmm. And behind my back, he was completely disregarding what I had done. And and that was so many years ago. And I kind of go, why did I even care? Why why did I let? And it was a fact. I, I I was a writer. I had I had written the script that he was directing. <laughs> what more do you want? You didn't write the script. <laughs> Who, well, whose name does it say when it's this writer? Whose name does it say on the script that everybody's reading? And and it was so sort of, a, you know, it was a microaggression. It was like this sort of flippant comment um, to make me feel small that got back to me. And, you know, I don't know what he's doing with his career now. I have no <laughs> idea because does, he, does, he don't come up in conversation. I don't see it in the press. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. But I know I, that I'm writing the prequel to Greece. So, like, I don't oh, really worry oh my too much about that. That's, wow. But That's amazing. I know that I'm buying a house for my writing, but mm-hmm. I do think that it's so easy to be made to feel small in this town mm-hmm. and in this world. And I think that you, as a young woman, a young girl, a young anybody, needs to go, I actually do know what I am. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm a writer because I write. Mm-hmm. And I don't trust anybody's opinions of myself, but myself. And when when people are putting you down, you know, and you have to have that committee of people that you trust, that when you're down, they're like, I know who you are, that reflects you mm-hmm. back to yourself. I know that you're a writer. And, and maybe you don't have some big studio movie right now. Maybe you're just working on these smaller independent projects, but everybody's got to do the climb, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I feel so sad for my younger self that that I think cried about that, that took that mm-hmm. so hard because I was working my butt off selling makeup. And I'm really proud of those years that I worked my butt off selling makeup. And all of the people that I met while selling makeup inform my work today. And all of the women that I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and days and months and years of my life with inform my work today and have made mm-hmm. me the artist that I am today. And I just wish I could take away those small searing comments that men make to young women that deter them and take them off their path and make them feel small mm-hmm. because they have an effect. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing those absolutely inspiring and empowering words. That truly means so much. And even just sitting here right now, I have goosebumps from what you just said, because that's uh-huh. there's just so much. There's just it's a hundred percent truth and just everything you've mentioned. And I love these words and they truly stuck out to me. The words limitless. Cause truly that's, that's what we are in the industry as women. We are limitless. And whenever we seek our goals, 
I mean, there's nothing to stop us, like you were saying. And I know it must be easy to laugh about all these incidents now, but I completely understand how much they must have hurt at the time and how much energy, tears, and just was probably spent on it. So I really want to say how sorry and that that that's happened to you. But it's so amazing, like you were saying, you don't even know what these people are doing now, but here you are on like this (laughs) absolute road to success. So it's great to see that that has not stopped you one bit. But um, we're curious to know, what other hardships do women in the industry or this specific industry face? And how have you sort of dealt with them or coped with them? And how do you really get through them? I think that it's very easy as a female in the industry to feel isolated, to feel alone, to feel that you don't know anybody that's in the exact same position as you. So many of the men that I know in this industry have these really tight-knit communities that they came up together, that they moved here from college or they found each other as babies, as assistants, as, as PAs, and then they became close friends and they would meet up on the weekends and talk about movies and now they're all on big movies and working on Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. And I like know so many, so many of the, my male mentors are that way. They have their own communities. And I think sometimes with women, because we, we don't have, you know, we don't, there's not as we're told that there's not as many of us, which isn't true. There's just fewer of us getting the jobs that's changing. There is, it's almost like in an effort to, to, um, what is that that saying to separate and destroy? What is that? It's like, um, uh, uh, divide and destroy. Like divide and kind conquer. of like divide and conquer. Yeah, divide and conquer. Exactly. Yeah. Divide and conquer. <laughs> it's like they want us to not connect with each other so that we don't share war stories in a weird way. And I think you have to fight for that community. You have to like go out on a limb and be awkward and look stupid and be embarrassed. But like when you meet somebody that inspires you, another woman in the industry, you say, hi, can we be friends? Can we exchange (laughs) phone numbers? Can we exchange emails? Can we exchange Instagrams? And can we stay in contact? I would really love to stay in contact with you. Mm -hmm. And so that you don't feel that you're the only one in a man's world because when you're surrounded by nothing but men it can Mm -hmm. feel like you have to say yes to things you don't want to say yes to or you have to say no to things you don't want to that you would actually rather do um until you get to the point where you know your own voice and there's been a lot of times where I I've been like I don't really know what I'm doing I wish I had a female friend that was in the same position that I'm in and unfortunately I don't have any the only people that I know that that have this same experience are men and they just Mm -hmm. are not, no matter what, they're not having the same experience as you. (laughs) They're different. They are living in a different world. They're they're having a different life experience. So I think if I could give any advice as far as, you know, sustainability in this industry, it's finding a community, finding other female artists that you value their minds, you value their opinions, that you, even if you can just go to somebody and cry to them or they can come to you and cry to you and you can just root each other on in your successes and comfort each other in the times that things are falling apart. Um, I think it's so important because it's, it's really not, uh, it's not going to be a quick road, you know, in Hollywood. It's you're here, here for the long haul and it's a marathon and, you will burn out if you think it's going to happen in a year and you're just like pounding the pavement and in a year you, you come up for air and realize that it, it doesn't feel like you've done much. 
you have you just need people there to remind you that you have yeah and I think we kind of noticed this trend with every other woman that we've spoken to on this podcast you know having a community and having connections can really serve a purpose and we wanted to ask you specifically have there been any mentors in your life that you've looked up to or have encouraged you to um you know go towards your dreams go towards your goals and really like set a foundation for you totally I um my college professor John Bennett's was one of those early people that believed in my screenwriting I didn't think much of it I was just I was more like I have a story to tell and I don't want to play the roles that everybody's making me play and why do I have to shoot this for film class it's so was this from the 80s like I don't want it this stuff is not my voice and I'm so glad that back then even I knew the kind of work I wanted to make and that I I didn't want to make shitty stuff I wanted to make great material even at you know 18 (laughs) years old I was like this isn't me this doesn't speak to me and uh, I'm really grateful for John Bennett's that was the one to just be like okay well if you don't like this then you have to go write your own go write your own script and if Mm -hmm. it's not terrible I'll let you shoot it (laughs) And from then, I just started writing all my own scripts and he would read them all and he would tell me like, Leah, this is really, really good. And I, to be honest, it was like I was when I at that stage in my life, I was so delusionally self-confident that I was like, oh, really? It was like I hadn't even stopped to think what anybody thought of my work. I was so busy making my work. And sometimes I wish I could get a little bit of that back because I feel like I went backwards where now I really care what people think of my work. I really care that the script that I turned in, my producers and my execs are going to love. I really care that the critics liked the new thing. I read all of the reviews, which is a big mistake. Never do that. Never, never, (laughs) never go online and read reviews about your work because it'll just be a dark hole. But I, so John was a big, 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 big influence in valuing not just what I could do as an actress, but my mind as a voice. And I dated um, a man for five years, Shin, who was a screenwriter. And he was the one that just, he never babied me. He was like, he gave, he, his, when he told me something was good, I really believed it because he was making a living as a screenwriter. And I just thought that was like the coolest that he, you know, worked on a TV show and would get up every day and go to like the writer's room. And I would see all his, like, I would open up his residuals because they would come in these colored envelopes and I would get so excited. I'd be like, we got one, we got one, we got one. And he would like, let me open them up. And they would, sometimes they'd be for like four cents. You know, sometimes they be like so dumb. And sometimes they'd be for like five grand. And to me, when I'm like, you know, getting paid 20 bucks an hour to make, to do makeup, I was like, that's like, you know, that's like months and months and months of work. Like that, that's, you're rich. And I just thought that was like the most insane business that you could, you know, write something years ago and just continue to have it live on. Um, I just thought it was the coolest. And so him telling me that my voice mattered, that my scripts were good, um, really pushed me forward and really gave me that confidence that I needed at that early point in my screenwriting screenwriting life. And then my one of my producers, um, Becky, she is the one that, you know, 
brought me my first TV show that I created. She's the one that got my first rom-com sold to Sony. She's the one that has always championed my voice um, on, on, you know, on this larger scale of the studio side. And it's a big jump from going from an indie artist, an indie filmmaker, an indie screenwriter, an indie voice to being in the studio system. It feels like a really big jump. It feels like you're playing with the big kids. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Becky was the one that believed that I was ready for that. And Mm -hmm. even, I think in some ways, even when I wasn't sure if I was ready for that and it's, I'm very grateful. So I've, I've had, you know, I've had some people that have had to believe in me a lot to get me here and it always takes a village. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think like, like Shivali was saying, like having that strong tight knit community, who's always there to lift you up for that 2am text or phone call. I think that means so much, especially just, just having that community, I think is amazing. And all these uh, mentors you share are absolutely amazing as well. But you know, I think what makes you truly unique is your diversity. Now you're also theater, you've done theater, movie productions, but they're all in these different spheres of your industry. So how is it different from acting or something versus producing a film or writing a film? And how do you sort of, um, how do you deal with um, really blocking each one off or do they all come together or mix or how does that really work for you? Producing is so, so, so hard. Producing is like walking through hell without any clothing or (laughs) walking over the steaming fires of hell. That's what it's like. I mean, it's just getting your ass kicked every single day is what producing is. But I do credit producing with everything. I, I give all of I everything that I have, I credit to my producing and I don't do it as much anymore because I feel like in some way I earned the point. I earned the stage of my career where, you know, I have producers and I don't have to produce in theory, but I'm such a big believer and everybody that knows me knows this, that producing is really just making your own shit, getting it made, (laughs) who's making your stuff because a script is not that powerful. And everybody in this town acts like a script is like the end all be all. Sure. It is on some level when you get there, but when you're just like a brand new person in this town, you show up from off the bus from Iowa or from, in my case, San Francisco, Mm -hmm. nobody knows who you are. Nobody wants to read your script. Nobody wants to invite you to auditions as an actress. They don't know who you are, you know, and it can take many, many years to get to the point where you're auditioning consistently or people are reading your script in this town. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is producing is, is the act of not waiting. Mm -hmm. And it's the act of going, I'm green lighting my script. I'm casting myself. (laughs) I'm going to star in this. And there's nothing in this industry more powerful than that, more powerful than being a one-stop shop, a one-woman show. And I'm really proud, if I'm proud of anything in my life, I'm proud of the younger me that would scrape together a few hundred bucks to make a music video, that would beg my friends and even complete strangers to come and, and help me build my dream, that would find ways to get it done because you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. And nobody knows who you are if you're not making work. If you want to make movies, you have to make movies. So I'm such a big believer that if you're writing a million dollar script, 
and nobody's reading it and it's I mean a million dollar film and nobody's reading the script and nobody's going to make your movie then you need to be writing a ten thousand dollar film and that's what you need to go find ten thousand dollars and you can make the film like making MFA killed me it was the hardest experience of my life to this day so hard I, I don't know if I'll do anything in my life as difficult as that <laughs> but it gave me everything and it gave me everything because it wasn't just a script. If I had just written the script and gone, well, there it is. Now I'm going to send it to everybody I know and pray that somebody makes this thing. It would never have been made. I promise you, nobody knew who I was. It was like my second feature film script I've, I'd ever written. And I thought it was the best thing anybody had ever written in life. And I reread it recently. And it's not that good. <laughs> like, I thought it was way better. <laughs> Because it was the best that I could write at that point in my life. I had worked very, very hard on it and dreamt very hard and, and tried very, very hard. And it was, it was honestly all that I, that I was. It was, my, it was really me stretching. And because I've done so much writing in the years since, I could write a much better script than that. But I didn't wait for that moment. You can't wait for the moment where you're Aaron Sorkin. You'll spend your whole life waiting. So I'm such a big believer that if you want to make movies, you got to go make movies. I don't care if it's on your iPhone. I don't care if you're, if you're starring in it and you're also directing it and your mom is starring off of you. And she's like, I really don't want to do this. And you're like, read the damn lines, mom. Like, I don't care. I don't care what it, you just need to be making movies because I promise you, you're improving whether or not you feel it and you're you're throwing ripples out there ripples are going out in all directions and people are going to eventually start seeing some of your work if you just continue to create and create and create and create and i think that this business takes notice when you've made some of your own luck and that's what happened for me you know i had my record deal fail i came here heartbroken I just created, 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 kept my head down, kept working, kept working, kept working, kept working. Projects got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then what do you know? They welcome you into the studio system because you've earned it. That's, look, sometimes people don't need to do that. Sometimes people make one short film and then they're, you know, directing Jurassic Park. But that doesn't always happen. <laughs> that is the exception to the rule. Usually it's a many years slog of having to grow from, small films that you shot with your friends to bigger short films to a web series or a tiny little indie um, feature to, you know, eventually doing something decent. But if you love it, it doesn't feel like a slog. Mm -hmm. Of and you've definitely worked your way up there. And, you know, how you know, writing MFA and, and producing it and also acting in it and, and generally just screenwriting in general, how have you dealt with um, stress and pressure and how have you kind of coped yeah. with some of the, you know, um, people or just things that you have to do that kind of put a lot on your plate? How have you kind of dealt with that? It's so hard, honestly, and I haven't mastered that at all. I need to be better about it. I will say that MFA was a perfect example of what not to do. <laughs> I was so I was so hyped up that I wasn't eating and I didn't even feel hungry because I was running like you know, your 12-hour days and and you're putting out fires and a couple of my guys on the crew were like about to fight each other and the parking lot and you're like in the middle of them and then the food was misordered it was supposed to be for 
100 people and they only order for 50 people and you're like panicking and people are hungry. I mean, it's just, it's just chaos. It's chaos making movies. And when you're a little tiny indie film and you're just trying to survive. And I think I, I took on more than I should have. Um, and I really suffered for it. And I, it, it hit me really hard and, and it took me months to shake off that experience. And I, it was a lot of crying and a lot of just darkness and feeling like I was a failure and feeling like I um, really screwed up my life. And so I think it's really important that you, you, you force yourself to eat when you have to eat. You force yourself to check in with yourself and to, to take care of yourself. And you ask for help when you need help. Like, I think I had such a hard time trusting that anybody was going to be able to handle certain things that I just did it all myself. And there's a toll that comes with that, you know, learn to delegate, learn when you're having a day that you're like at wit's end and you're running on empty and, and reach out for help and tell somebody like, I'm, I'm really close to a nervous breakdown. Could I, could I step away for a couple hours? Could I take the rest of the day off? Could mm -hmm. I just go into that room and have a moment alone? Could I, and I, I promise you that nine times out of 10, they will say, absolutely, I've got it. You'll, we're fine. We will handle it. Just go take care of yourself. And I just didn't think, I didn't give myself that permission so right now, especially during a pandemic, it's so hard because I put a lot of pressure on myself and I'm used to my routine where I go to my office and I write all day and I'm very regimented in that Monday through Friday. And right now I can't leave. So that's been really hard on me because I've felt really claustrophobic and I felt um, really isolated and, and stressed out and felt like a gun is on my head. And I turned in a script on Friday and then I just took the weekend and like watched Love on the Spectrum on Netflix all weekend, which was like the most amazing show I've ever seen in my entire life. And I saw Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. And I, I love, loved, yes, loved yes. that so love much. That. <laughs> it was so beautiful and hilarious and amazing. And I just like ordered Thai food and I went for a couple of hikes with my girlfriends. And it, I'm telling you, it just like refueled me on the deepest level. And I, I didn't feel that I had that because I was like up against a deadline. But you know what I realized is like these are like self-imposed deadlines. <laughs> like, why do I need to like treat myself? Because I'm very, I'm like it, I kind of pride myself on going. Yeah, I give myself deadlines and I stick to them as though it's like an end-all, be-all, life or death. And I go, that's not something to be proud of. <laughs> How about you don't actually have a deadline? How about like tell your producers, hi guys, like just checking in, feeling really good about it. I'm going to be done soon. You'll be getting it within the next week or so. Like it doesn't, you don't need to put this intense pressure on yourself nine times out of 10. Like I said, I think people will really have your back because I think what I've realized is when you're running on empty, your work does suffer mm -hmm. because you are a magic maker as an artist. Everything is coming from you, from your fingertips, from your soul, from your heart. And if those things are sick, if those things are struggling for air, like I always used to remember in college, do you, do you ladies remember this? If you were like studying or high school, if you were studying for like an exam or for like finals, <laughs> I would stay up all night and I would just drink all this like coffee or red. Oh Bull. my gosh, absolutely. Do you remember this? <laughs> yes. And then at a certain point, this is my theory. It's like you're awake, 
but you're but stupid you're, you're like dumb oh my gosh absolutely this was me just the other day yeah <laughs> I had like 12 cups of coffee in one day I was trying to pull an all-nighter getting all my prep in and I was just tearing myself down in the process so absolutely I can definitely definitely relate to what you're saying right now and you're not even like retaining any information oh my gosh absolutely of course you know, like the work that you're doing <laughs> is like a stupid person's work you're like I just mm-hmm. been <laughs> and it's so sad because you're like oh I was trying I was almost I was just trying too hard I was trying too hard and we're and we're you know we're animals and we can't we can't do it all forever you know we're not robots. And so mm-hmm. I think what I've realized is I have to, at some point, have a part of myself that steps in and goes, Leah, <laughs> you're done. You're done for the day. You're done for the day. And <laughs> sometimes somebody gave me this advice, and I, and I love this, where I will, before I go to sleep, I will ask a question that I need to be solved. So whether it's what project do I take? I'm deciding between two projects. What project do I take, Leah? And it's sort of, and I go to sleep and I let my subconscious work it, work it out. And, and sometimes, you know, they say that, you know, what, have you guys ever had a, an idea come to you in the shower or oh, yeah. fall asleep? And the yeah. reason for that is because you've relaxed. Mm-hmm. Your body has relaxed. Your mind has relaxed. The pressure is off. And it's almost like this creative wave comes over you when the pressure is off and the gun is off your head. And, and so in sleeping, you know, you're still working through the same problems, the same questions, but you're in a different state. So I try to do that. I try to just trust instead of trying so hard to figure something out, especially within the realm of, of art, which is filmmaking, right? You can't mm-hmm. force it sometimes. Sometimes it's just where you're at. You're trying too hard. It's not going to happen. So what I try to do is just go, I'm just going to trust that the answer is going to come. And it always, 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 always does. It just comes on its own when I let it go, when I stop trying so hard. That was, I don't even remember what you asked me. And I just talked for <laughs> years of my life. I'm in menopause. Are we all in menopause now? Sorry. <laughs> I think like, especially with COVID and everything right now, we're, we've all kind of been in that mental state where we're just like, we need to focus on ourselves and just maybe relax a little bit and <laughs> yep, not, not put so much pressure and stress. So yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, thank you for sharing so much advice about y- your career and giving your insight. But we usually like to end off our podcast with um, a daily segment called Fight Song. So as you're probably familiar with, Rachel Platten wrote a motivational song back in 2015 called Yeah, Fight I love song. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want to ask you, what's your fight song? What kind of motivates you to get up every day and do oh everything? Gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have so many and I and I have like a whole playlist of my fight songs because I have been in so many positions in my life where I just feel dead and I need to be like reborn. And I and I have my playlist for those fight songs when I know that I'm in that place where I'm like, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. My favorite song of all time is probably my ultimate fight song, which is Elastic Heart by Sia. Oh, yeah, I love that song. <laughs> I love that song. And I just feel like that's I'm going to get it tattooed, little tiny writing on my arm that says Elastic Heart, because I feel like that's, I think it kind of sums up how you survive in this town. You know, you don't let your heart get shattered into a million pieces you just you know you let it come back into its form stretch out 
get a little hurt sometimes, but it'll always come back to its original form. That was great. Thank you so much for um, telling us your fight song and letting us learn a little bit more about your life and your career and just the challenges and how you've overcome them in the recent years. So thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. It's been so great talking to you and listening to all this amazing insight and advice you've been able to give us and also our listeners. Thank you both, Shivali and Danielle. I so appreciate you and what you're doing for ladies everywhere. I think this is so important and I'm always here if you need me. Thank you for tuning in to another epi of Women at Work. Danielle and Shivali signing off. Catch you guys next time.